You're listening to Interzone Pod. Uh, my name is Gareth Jelly, and today I'm talking to Stark Hobbin. Thank you for coming on the show, Stark. It's my pleasure. So, uh, hi, Gareth. I wanted to start with your your excellent, really interesting Interzone digital story, which was the the Feast of Mulligan Lang. Um, could you kind of yeah introduce that a little bit for listeners who might not have read it, and uh, talk about maybe where that came from? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm I'm so pleased that Mulligan found a home. Um, with Interzone, with IZ Digital, because I think it's a, a perfect, perfect home for the story. Um, and obviously, uh, your help with it was was greatly appreciated too. But um, the idea for Mulligan first came from, um, so some readers will probably know this, there's a Lord Dunsany story called The Coronation of Mr. Thomas Shap. And it's one of my favourites. It's about uh, a man who has a very dull existence as a clerk in London. And then gradually he sort of starts building these flights of fantasy in his mind and, and retreating further and further from reality as he does um, into this sort of fantastical world where he eventually becomes a god. And it's all happening in his imagination. And I loved, I loved the way it by increments, he slowly loses himself. And I kind of wanted to do something similar with that. Um, and obviously, but combining a lot of other elements as well from other things uh, in, into that, that sense of growing um, kind of wonder and horror. Yeah, it is. Yeah, growing, growing wonder and horror is exactly right. Yeah. And, and it's, been, it's been nominated or not, is it nominated or just longlisted? I forget. It, it's been longlisted or nominated for the longlist at the British Science Fiction Award. It has, yeah. So if you are a member please do uh, take a look at it. And if you like it, um, vote for it, because that would be fantastic. That would, uh, yeah, be brilliant. And I think it's free to read at the moment as well, if you want to go and check it out. It, it is, yeah, it is. It is. Um, it, if you go to in, interzone.digital, and uh, it should be very near the top, unless I've done something wrong, which I sometimes do. <laughs> but it should be there. It should be, scroll down a little bit and you should see it. Um, and you've, you've, you've also... Uh, recently well i think coming out very soon there is this there's, there's this game there's this game uh shadows of doubt that's right yes yeah shadows of doubt it's um i've been working on it as a writer for probably the past nearly three years i think wow but um the develop it's been in development for probably six so i've been involved for about half its half its life cycle okay and this is a it's a stealth detective game with a a kind of a narrative sort of like like talk a little bit about it because because the narrative is quite interesting right your involvement is in this sort of is it procedurally gen generated narrative or yeah well this is the fascinating thing about it as a game it's sort of so it's a stealth game but it's also an immersive sim in a lot of ways so um really it's up to the player to interact with the world how they see see fit and in this case you're a classic gumshoe detective trying to solve murders and take on side jobs and interact with this sort of shady dystopian um, alternative 1980s uh, city and what's what's amazing about it and I think what makes it quite unique in the space is that when we say procedurally generated like everything is procedurally generated from the city the city names the citizens who live within the city they'll all have a name a job a routine likes dislikes um, they'll have favorite bars they go to They'll have a blood type, a, a footprint, um, and then also the city's 
constantly tracking their movements as well. So if you're looking for someone, you can look on CCTV and you'll be able to see them walking around as you would um, if you were a real detective. And so it's brilliant fun. And one of the challenges was trying to work a sense of narrative into this, into procedural generation. Um, And it was quite challenging. You sort of have to modularize a lot of things um, because you never quite know what order they're going to come out in. But I think we've got it working really well. And one of my favorite aspects of it are actually the newspapers. Um, So you can pick up a newspaper and, you know, you can read about a crime that's happened the day before and it will all generate um, based on what's been happening in the city. Oh, that's amazing. So you can kind of like, you can kind of get a kind of clue or a hint from a newspaper and then follow it up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You can, you can discover, you can read about, you know, who found a body or where it was found, uh, who the person's neighbor was. Um, And then you can, (laughs) there's, there's other ridiculous things in there that I love. You know, there are classified adverts and um, one of the most, the great things for me about this was just getting so much world building because we don't have we don't really have a way for um to to info dump anything on the player it all has to be sort of seeded throughout the world and so there's okay. there's world building built into everything you know item descriptions if you pick up a bottle of ketchup it's got some world building in there that's that's fantastic that's is it is it an overarching narrative is there sort of like uh like as a writer are you thinking about it in terms of some big sort of plot or are you just sort of plotting out, you know, short stories or sort of smaller stories inside this world? Um, well, I won't talk too much about this because um, obviously we're, it, has, it hasn't released yet. The game, it should be coming out sometime this year. Um, but it, it is an, a, a real challenge. And at the moment, the the main overarching narrative is actually sort of the tutorial. It's the introductory mission. Um, but... After that, a lot of things are proceduralized. Um, and, you know, me and we're always talking about the fact we want to do like DLCs and adventures. And so, I mean, maybe there'll be there'll be room for other stuff later, but uh, that's very much sort of a dream for now. Talking about world building, um, Tan Lo, um, I've got a great quote here from Alex White, and they say uh, this is they say the most vibrant desert world since Dune. And I wondered sort of how did that Ten Low world come about and how does how does Hell's Eight relate to it, you know, relate to the novel and sort of where does it sit inside the world? All right, I'm going to make a confession and uh, I don't always tell people this, but um, so my first novel is actually a book called Nunslinger, which is in many ways a traditional Western in the sense that it's set in, you know, the 1860s and it's, but it's very much not a traditional Western in a lot of ways. It's incredibly it's very revisionist um it's kind of not quite alternate history but playing it basically plays with the the genre quite a lot and um it's it's a genre i'm fascinated absolutely fascinated by but i'm aware that it's quite a hard sell sometimes especially for people who assume that all westerns are just sort of like john wayne vehicles where he struts around and is macho um so I was thinking, well, how can I combine it with another genre? And then I started kind of thinking about, okay, well, what about what about science fiction? And uh, it was actually on the way back from from Dublin, from Worldcon, I sort of half fell asleep and then was thinking about this idea. And then the characters 
it was the characters who came to me first. It was Ten and the general. And um, then I started thinking about, you know, if they were interacting in a sort of desert-like environment, then that that produced the sort of desert moon and then their journey across it. And so the the world of Factus was really shaped by by their interaction with it as characters. Um, and also it was shaped, I mean, a lot of world building, you know, you, you create something based on, you know, what is there. And with Factus, I kind of wanted to explore creating a world based on uh, what isn't there, what isn't present um, and how people make their home and how people exist in that environment. Then then you, the, the, the novel kind of does really well. It was one of those, yeah, one of those pandemic releases, right? Which is... Mm-hmm. Right in the middle, 2021, it was summer it came out. Yeah, how, how did that, how did it affect it? How did it sort of, and also your expect your, your expectations of the release? Like sort of, I imagine you were writing it before and then it comes out in the midst of it. Yeah, difficult. I mean, I... Expectation-wise, I, I didn't really have a lot, to be honest, because, I mean, I am, it, it was new for me. And, you know, I was a sort of new voice in science fiction space. So um, it wasn't it wasn't something I had, I had kind of huge expectations for. Um, I think what was difficult was obviously not, not able to sort of have a proper launch and go into bookshops. And, and I did a bit of that, you know, as much as I could. But um, I think overall there... One of the great things about doing stuff online, there was so much goodwill from the genre community during the pandemic uh, in terms of helping to spread the word and get in touch with reviewers. Um, so I felt really supported by that. Um, but I think overall, I was just just happy to just happy to have my weird kind of space book out there. And uh, it's it's yeah, it's been it's been really fun, kind of stepping into science fiction. And uh, for for Hell's Eight, it's I, th- I think you described it. I think it was in a tweet or it was somewhere. As maybe it's it's, it's somewhere else as well. But as a standalone follow up, as opposed to just calling it a sequel, is that kind of partly marketing, partly the way you were writing it, or is there is there more more to that? Because I think it's a really interesting phrase, a really interesting interesting way of putting it. A standalone follow up. I mean, the honest answer probably is that uh, I think a lot of it is is in the marketing. Um, the way it's presented. I think booksellers sometimes will shy away from something if they think it's a sequel. Um, I think people will assume there won't be new readers coming to a book if because they think, oh, well, I have to read the first one first. And then, so I guess a standalone follow-up is a way of bringing people into the world um, without kind of making the demand that they have to, you know, go away and read an 80,000 word novel before they can get into the second one so it's, it is an interesting concept and I'm not gonna lie it was incredibly challenging um to do because I obviously had an idea of what I wanted to do as a sequel but then I also had to try and make it accessible for people who are coming to Factors for the first time and didn't know Ten's backstory and didn't know the general um so it it caused me some problems but uh I think I think we got there in the end there's a short story on your site as well, isn't there? Is it um, set in the same world? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so the short story is called Snake Eyes. And interestingly, this is one of the ways I solved this problem in the end. Um, it's set, that one's set about 30 years before the action of Tenlo. Um, and after writing that, it actually features a character who I really liked from Tenlo called Esther Hazy. Um, 
she's this uh, old kind of quite dangerous, mysterious smuggler. Um, and that made me think, you know, I'd really like to explore her story further. So actually what happened is that original story has actually, I spun it out into a second strand of the novel. So the novel actually does jump between different viewpoints. One of them's Tens, one of them, one of them's Esterhazy's. Uh, so if you like that story, then uh, it's expanded upon in detail in the novel. So, 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 Ten Low is available now, and Hell's Eight is coming out on the twenty first of March and the twenty eighth of March in the US. Uh, um, and you've uh, you've got a little bit of Hell's Eight that you can read for for Interzone Pod listeners. I do, yes. Um, I'm just if you hear the rustling, that's me opening my one of my brand new shiny copies uh, that arrived not long ago, which um, is always an exciting moment. A big box of nice shiny looking books. Yes. I know. Lovely Spot UV on the cover. Oh, I'm a big fan of Spot UV, as as anyone who has their copy of Interzone may know. <laughs> Everyone knows. <laughs> it, it does look very shiny. Um, yeah, so so you have a you have something from Hell's Eight, and uh, yeah, go for it. I do. So this um, it's a short chapter. It's from near the beginning of the book, and it'll hopefully just give a flavour of the world. Um, and this is from Ten's point of view. I wake abruptly, as if someone has yelled in my ear. Motionless, I listen. The night is quiet, save for the clink and clatter of the trinkets on the tree, the flap of the tarpaulin that covers the mule, the distant roar of the edge. There are no boots scuffling in the dust, no propellant on the air, no clacks or creaks of an ambush. Rowdy stands silently with his head against the wall, oblivious to any presence. And yet, I know, on the other side of the door, someone is watching. Slowly, I push back the ex-army blanket. No telling what time it is. The fire in the stove is almost out, just embers in thick coats of ash. I shake them awake, force the last feeble beats from their red hearts. The wind gives a moan, works its fingers through a gap in the walls to trace my throat. I take up the scalpel and, inch by inch, push open the door. At the light's limit, she waits, her grey hair caught like wool on the wind of another time, another place perhaps even the wind that buried her body. Esterhazy, I whisper. The dead woman looks at me with eyes that first opened on old earth. She is alone. Not alone. They are with her. I can feel their attention on me, not eyes. They don't have eyes. I try to stay calm, to keep my hands from trembling, even as every nerve in my body screams for me to slam the door and bury that my head under the blanket. What is it? I ask. Esterhazy opens her mouth to speak, but all that emerges is dark sand pouring past her teeth. I know that sand. I've walked endless dunes of it, through the edge, through hell. She opens her mouth wider, and the trickle becomes a rush, 
revealing something silver on her tongue. A coin. That's the first time I've actually ever read from that, so uh, thank you for allowing me my debut performance of Hell's Eight. Thank you. That was that was wonderful. That was really, really cool. Um, so so that's, that's Hell's Eight, and we've talked about Mulligan, and I wanted to talk a little bit about your your Patreon and your kind of your love of film. Cause I, I love film too. And you've got this great kind of, you do these recommendations and I think you kind of like a lot of Western films as well. Right. Uh, what, what sort of, yeah. What have you been watching recently that, that sort of uh, stuck in your mind? I'm just always hunting out. Cause I think part of the problem with streaming services is that there's so much there, but it's really difficult to find you know, things that you actually are maybe interested in. And, you know, there's all this the same recommendations on the front page. So I spend a lot of my time trawling through uh, through sites to find interesting recommendations. Um, things I've watched recently. Uh, there was a great one, which I watched the other day, called One Cut of the Dead, um, which is a Japanese zombie film. But it narratively it's incredibly playful and unexpected and I love anything that surprises me um that one was quite surprising so I'd recommend checking that one out it's kind of a comedy zombie horror but it's definitely not what you think it's going to be and then another recommendation I would uh have for anyone who hasn't seen it yet there's a brilliant western series on BBC iPlayer it's called The English with Emily Blunt and Cheska Spencer and it is excellent it's uh, everything I hoped it would be. And I didn't watch it for a while because I was a bit worried that I wouldn't like it. But um, it's, I think uh, Maria Lewis, who I follow, she's a really uh, interesting journalist. She said, you know, a lot of revisionist Westerns don't actually revise an awful an awful lot of the genre. Um, in, in, <laughs> That's a great line. It's, it's great. I know, and she, it's totally true. It's totally true. You know, they're, they're revising very little, but this one actually does. Um, it manages to be incredibly touching and poignant and just full of adventure and great characters um and I just I loved it and it kept me guessing as well which anything anything that does that narratively I'm, I'm a huge fan of and and what about sort of your, your you seem to have quite kind of broad interests in terms of film and you you mentioned kind of you know writing kind of writing a Western that became a sort of science fiction Western. What about your reading habits? Are you, are you sort of in multiple genres or do you not kind of think about it very much? Like, and, and what are you reading at the moment as well? Well, I try to read, I, I read quite widely. I mean, I read what I'm interested in, so I don't particularly think about genre. I mean, saying that a lot of Tenlo and Hell's Eight is influenced by um, classic sci-fi, um, not necessarily the Asimovs and stuff, more I'm a huge fan of the Strugatsky brothers. Um, and so if you've read any, there's there's a lot of, um, it's a book called Hard to Be a God. And there's a lot of that in made its way sort of into my thinking about Tenlo. And then a book called The Doomed City, which is one of my recent reads, which uh, I don't think that was actually translated until about 2016. So um, that's that was one of my sort of recent favourites as well. Um I think, and they wrote, for people who don't know, they wrote um, Roadside Picnic, which became Stalker. Um, so yes, that that kind of, that kind of classic sci-fi. And then Ursula Le Guin, Dispossessed, is one of my favourites. Um, that's kind of where I come from on the sort of sci-fi track, as it were. 
And, and when those when those influences come in, are, are they things that you notice when you go back and start revising? Is it sort of subconscious, or or are they? Uh, do you kind of see it as you're writing it? No, I think a lot of it is. I mean, I can't tell you exactly how hard to be a god is in the book. I just sort of, I just know it was one of the influences. Uh, if that makes sense, it's kind of. I think um, I was talking to someone the other day, and they sort of mentioned the, you know, the the term sort of creative compost. You kind of compost a load of ideas together, and then something blooms out of it. So it's just there. Is it? It's in the mulch that that made up the book. That's wonderful. Creative mulch. That's that's yeah. that's beautiful. I, I like that a lot. That's that's really great. And it's fun because there's a lot of other things in there. So you know, in, in the Ten Lows Creative Mulch, there's you know the, the Strugatsky Brothers, there's Mad Max, there's uh, Halo Jones, Firefly. It's kind of you mush it all up together and mm-hmm. see what comes out. Okay. And uh, before we go, is there anything else you want to plug? Anything you're looking forward to, or anything you want to kind of give a little bit of a little bit more exposure to? And yeah, just in terms of um, other books I've read recently and that are coming out in the next few weeks, um, I would uh, encourage everyone to check out a book called The 10% Thief um, by Lavanya Lakshmi Narajan, which is coming out from, I think it's Rebellion. I, I loved it. And it's it's a brilliant mosaic novel set in, in Bangalore. Um, it's sort of dystopian future Bangalore, and it's it was one of my favourite reads of recent times. So uh, if you're if you're looking for a book in the next few weeks, that's one I definitely recommend. So uh, yeah, that's well. Thank you very much. That's that, that's great. And and you had and you had something else, I think. Oh yes. Um, I mean, if anyone's interested in regular film recommendations, um, in interactive fiction, because I do post a fair amount of sort of interactive fiction work in progress. Um, and then in actually in reading uh, secretive behind the scenes work of stuff I'm doing, uh, you can sign up to my Patreon, um, where I post, I sort of post quite a lot of things that I don't put anywhere else online. Um, and I'm just about to post a sneak peak of uh third trigonometry novella which i haven't talked about at all but uh, i've just finished the third one and i'm I'm about to post a a sneak peek of that trigonometry great title and and really beautiful art because you you, patreons can get the first two books as perks right oh yes yeah the different tiers um depending on which you we sign up on you'll receive them free so yeah maybe yeah can, can you introduce trigonometry and uh maybe hint a little bit about the third one yeah so trigonometry um a bit like nunslinger i i hate to say it but it was title first story second um so (laughs) we were joking around and someone said you know trigonometry you know it would be a western and then you know what if the mathematicians were outlaws and gunfighters and me being me i I thought okay well i'll just go go away and write that then um which i did (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh they're they're just a lot of fun um they're kind of act as silly as they sound and a lot less silly as they sound um in kind of equal measure but you know i've got in the first one i've got characters like you know pierre de fermat and i've got um emmy Nerther and um just uh, loads of sophie germain basically mathematicians from across history if they were all living at the same time and if they were sort of outlaw gunfighters and gunslingers in a world where maths has been banned. Um, 
maths maths and sciences are outlawed and uh you know experts are frowned upon and, and dismissed oh i don't see any parallels at all with the our current society here but um it's yeah it's they're they're kind of quite ridiculous but also i you know as always i end up exploring some things that are troubling me about about whatever's going on um so the first one is very much a sort of heist uh, like train heist type uh, setup the second one is based on uh, it's a kind of riff on the on seven seven samurai or the magnificent seven um, and this latest one is, um, I'm not going to give too much away, but I'll just say there's a casino involved. Oh, okay. A casino. And, and, and you have to leave, leave the rest. People will have to buy the book. Um, where, where, where is that available? Is that who's publishing that or where can people find it? It's not available yet. Um, so it should all being well come out sort of midway through this year, I'd say early summer. Um, and I'm publishing it there. I, I self-published these ones um, in English. They're actually published in Spanish by um, a press called El Transbordador, who are brilliant. Um, but yeah, self-published in English, which is uh, quite fun because I get to commission the beautiful covers. Right. Um, who, who's the artist for those? Because they really are. They're really pretty. Oh, he's, he's great. He's called uh, Philip Harris. So if you look up Philip Harris illustration... Um, you'll find them. He actually did the cover for Nunslinger back in the day. So we've worked together for a while. N- Nunslinger is on my to be read. I'm just I'm looking at it right now and it has a gorgeous cover. It's a, it's a beautiful paperback. It's a, re- a real chunky. It is chunky. Nice looking book. It's 180,000 words in there. Is it? Is it that? And I wrote them all in nine months. <laughs> is it really? Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a beast. That's a beast. Um, the the and the, this I'm glad you mentioned the Spanish edition because that's uh that's got a great translated title isn't it uh is it square of lead or? oh it's brilliant it's plomo al cuadrado which is um lead squared which is just genius it's so it's I'm almost jealous because I'm like that's better than trigonometry <laughs> God and then the next one is lead is lead cubed so oh, just great translation this is this is great. Well, okay, so so we've got lots of things there. So yeah, the Patreon is. Um, can, can you give the URL? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's just Patreon. Um, dot com. I think it's forward slash Stark Colburn. I think basically, I'm Stark Colburn on, on on everything. You can find me. Just 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 search for Stark Colburn Patreon, and and, yeah, and there yeah. are multiple tiers there. That's and and you get nice goodies like a. Uh, I think at the highest tiers you get stickers, and and PDFs and. Yeah, you get a signed. Um, first edition author copy of whatever I have that comes out you get your name in the back of the acknowledgements of the book so yeah there's there's a fair amount to have and I'm just actually just signed off on some uh some merch some Hell's 8 merch which uh, will be going up as well okay well thank you thank you very much for all of that I'm sure people will check it out and and you can find the the Feast of Mulligan Lang is on interzone.digital and you can find out more about interzone the print magazine at interzone.press And uh, thank you very much, Stark, for coming on the show. Thanks, Gareth. It was my pleasure.